0: Okay, welcome along, everybody, to another edition of the Magical Learning Podcast. For those of you joining us uh, with some sort of video-capable platform, you might be thinking, wow, Jez, what have you done to your hair? And you look somehow younger and cooler. You need to get your eyes tested. Uh, Hi, my name is Graham. I'm CEO of Magical Learning, standing for Jez Fenton Menzies today. Unfortunately, Jez has um, been unwell for the week and is not able to join us today, so... Yes, this will be better than all of the other podcasts, so uh, looking forward to you joining in. Uh, We have a very, very um, surprise guest today, a very special guest, and uh, who I will ask to um, introduce himself in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to quickly go around to the rest of the team to see how everyone is going. And I might start with John in uh, sunny Canberra today. John, how are you?
1: Oh, look, it's beautiful here. It's uh, a balmy, probably 32 degrees. It's, um, you know, sun shining, birds are singing. And if we get to three plus two, I think I'll be very happy. Um, so yes, no, it's a weather. Mind you, I'm in an office, so it's 24 degrees. I can't play. It's great. It's when I step outside, which I won't be doing in a
0: hurry. <laughs> no, not without several more layers. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, John. Great to see you again. Danette, how are you? How's your week been? Yeah, week's been good. We had our first um, big face-to-face this week, so 42-odd people in a room in Canberra, and it was cold when we were there, so that was fun. Um, And I've been battling a bit of the cold, but it's definitely not COVID, because I've tested five times during the week. So anyway, I'm feeling much better now, and we're at home, which is awesome. So, That is very true. Very true. Great to have you with us again. Alan Hunt, how are you, Alan? How's your week been?
1: I'm going great, Graham. Yes, our week's been beautiful up here in sunny Queensland. It's stopped raining and the sun is shining. And this afternoon we have a birthday party for about eight 14 year old girls, which will be lots of fun.
0: Um, I'm just feeling a little envious right now, Al. I know I'm over it. Uh, So the eight 14 year old at your house?
1: Oh, temporarily here to eat the donuts and the cake and then we're taking them out roll skating for something different
0: filling with sugar and then yeah sounds great. Uh welcome <laughs> long elder as always it's great to have you on the call. And now leading to our very very special guest all the way from uh Kuala Lumpur I believe. Uh although maybe they've borrowed the bridge from another country. Craig Crowther Craig um CEO of Kahoot learning fantastic to have you on the podcast with us today. So grateful that you could join us. Um uh, do you want to say hi? How's your week been?
2: Hi, Graham. Thank you. It's good to be here, I'm really keen to be here to talk to you all. It's, it's been a busy week. I think is the best way I can describe it. What's going on? Lots of positive things. Um, the end of financial year feel about the week. So lots lots of lots of activity associated with that. Lots of planning for next year. But yeah, it's it's been been busy but good, which is how I life, like life to
0: Fantastic. be. Fantastic. Thank you. Are you a little like us, Craig? Are you doing counting down the number of sleeps until the thirtieth of June?
2: Um. Sleep is a luxury in my household. For those that don't know me, I have Correct. two children under the age of 15 months. So yeah, sleep is sleep is not something that happens on a regular pattern anyway, work aside. So it just gives me more time to focus on work when I'm not sleeping during the night. So yeah, all good.
0: Thank you. I, perhaps I should have said uh, the idea of sleep rather than the actual sleep at all. So uh, for those listening or, or watching, a lot to, today's theme or this week's theme for the podcast is uh, around online learning. And um, to share really quickly why we sort of landed on that theme. So Craig runs a company called Kahoot Learning um, that we've had a, a, a relationship with on and off for three or four years. And it's been um, working with some of the team at Kahoot for quite a while. And uh, Kahoot, uh, just phenomenal when it comes to creating one of the, just the the best online learning platforms that we've certainly experienced before. And we're very excited about um, building some new content, some new online programs with Kahoot. So today is uh, all about online learning. But before we jump into that, we have uh, a a segment that we've only recently introduced to our podcast called the Magical Learning Recommendation. Mm -hmm. This is where we recommend a product, an idea, a concept that uh, we think might be helpful. And this week, um, John's gone, has very kindly offered to share his recommendation with us. So, John, over to you.
1: Okay. So, this week for me, it's a book. And it's a book called Legacy by James Kerr. And it, I'm a, I've am played sport all my life. So, um, it's based around the New Zealand All Blacks, and why are they as good as they are? It's it's not about the play. It's about the management. So if you want a management book that is easy to read, um, looking at culture and how you can change culture, then Legacy by James Kerr is a good one. And one of the biggest tips very much is you get the players to actually sweep the sheds. So they became self-reliant, um, and it was looking at the changeover from the amateur days of rugby and how they were still doing kangaroo courts and drinking a lot of alcohol and and having to change the culture and introducing a haka, and then what did that mean coming into a professional era and having players like you know the 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 great Jonah Lomu, who played on the wing, who was a lazy trainer, but if he was behind, everyone was behind. You know, it's that weakest link type thing so yeah sweeping the sheds you've got the captain in there on a broom cleaning out the sheds at the end of a game no one was above any other player and they talk about how different strategies that they developed in being able to ground themselves when things got tough um, and being able to tough those things out so Legacy by James Kerr very simple read it's a great read Um, and it's a few years old now but it's a very good book.
0: Fantastic, thanks, John. Great recommendation. Haven't read it, uh, and will. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that. Another magical learning recommendation. Craig Crowther. Craig, I thought, uh, given the the topic for our podcast this week is um, around online learning and how we can um, perhaps enhance the. effectiveness of online learning. I wondered if you would mind maybe sharing a little of your backstory uh, to help listeners understand how you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Delighted to. Thank you. And I would vouch for the recommendation if I may do that before I start. I've read the book and I'm a big rugby person and it is just fantastic. It's a really, really good read around what makes the culture of what makes top performers. So I'm really, really good. Um, Yeah, backstory. Wow you're having 20 hours podcast script. I mean come on at my age and obviously you can see on camera I'm only 32 years old but have a 30-year career behind me so that's very impressive yeah I mean I, I have a very strange route to get to where I got to today I actually was a policeman believe it or not when I left university having been an economics graduate decided to join the police um, and, and spent 10 years working in the police in different roles and, and the one that's relevant to today I suppose about four years before so that ten years was up. I got involved in the people side of the business. So I was doing my MBA at the time at Durham University in the UK, and and kind of as a result of the fact that I kind of thought about some of these things, got sucked into a a job to review how we trained all of our officers in the force, 6,000 of them. Um, We had a big training staff, big training center that we did a lot of things in-house. And we basically had to look at the whole thing. And there there was no real link between performance management and training. So training was something where you set a schedule at the start of the year of what programs you were going to run. You sent them out to the various stations and agencies and then filled the places, whether those people needed it or not, and whether they needed it then or not was not part of the structure or process it was just, you know, you happen to walk past the train officers office at the right time you got a six week course on investigative skills, and six weeks not working night shift and that was basically how a lot of things were allocated. And, and I was given the enviable task of reviewing the whole function, looking at how we did it, and basically trying to flip it on its head. So making it needs driven rather than you know, program driven. And as a result of that, and it didn't make me the most popular person, we managed to release 42 people from the training center back into operational duty. Um, and saved ourselves a big chunk of money in the process and went from achieving 30% success of getting people into the training they needed on an annual basis to about 67%. So it was a big project and it kind of just got me absolutely fired up. You know I looked at this and just thought one it seemed fairly simple to me. It didn't seem that complicated and I couldn't really understand why we'd done it that way for a long time. But just really kind of got fired up about, you know, looking at what people needed, putting people in the jobs that they were ill equipped for or you know they got trained 2 years after they needed it to do it effectively. And I'd always been a kind of people person in that sense. You know, I'd always been the person people would pick up the phone to and talk to when they had a problem or they wanted to talk things through. I was that kind of sort of open book, I suppose, in that sense. And it just, I just found my home of what I was interested in. I guess. So long. Trying to save a bit of time for you, I ended up leaving the police because I could see that I I wanted a broader experience, not just in one hierarchical organisation. I ended up going as an HR director to a large chemical and pharmaceutical company. And from there, ended up getting involved in national skills projects in the UK, where we weren't training people for 20 years, and then just wondered why we had skills shortages on a national level. Um, and then set my own business up back in 2005, which was involved in advisory work for organisations around L&D, but also kind of more strategic level and government levels, looking at skill shortages of workforce development, professional development needs. And did that for 14 years, believe it or not, um, until I came across Kahoot. So I was introduced to Kahoot Learning, who are a Melbourne-based business, Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Sorry, I'm not going to take up your whole time, I promise. Um, but, But I was introduced to them because I was looking for a provider of good quality digital learning for my business, and a friend of mine through LinkedIn said, oh, you need to talk to these guys in Melbourne. They're doing some great things. They've got some great ideas, but you've probably never heard of them because I've been outside of Australia. Why don't you pop down to Melbourne for two days, obviously, as you do from Kuala Lumpur, and spend a couple of days chatting to the guys? So I did. Flew in on a Tuesday night, left on a Thursday night, and the rest is history, as they say. I ended up not winding my own business up, but joining Kahoot initially as a consultant, then as chief operating officer, and now as chief executive officer. Um, and what's Kahoot learning? I mean, Kahoot started off as a live events company. Back in 2005 so they were hosting webinars those that's the sort of things that Danette has been into for, for large organizations and they had the unenviable job in the first days of trying to make gst tax training interesting that was what the first kahoot webinars were was to take face-to-face gst tax training and turn it into something digitally purely from a scale point of view anthony nero who set the business up just couldn't deal with the capacity issues they had to try to fly around australia and do all the training needed to do so we're looking for a solution they ran the first ones through Webex before Cisco, owned, and they could have nine people in a training event because Webex couldn't cope with more than nine people in its early days, believe it or not. Um, and the business grew from there into 2011 after running live events very successfully. The, the, 2011 was around the time that MOOCs kind of came out with the likes of Stanford, you know, the big, massive open online learning. And, and, and what you saw with that was you had great content. Arguably, you had some of the best faculty in the world, and yet the completion rates for a free program were like eight to nine percent. And Anthony and the team kind of sat and said, why? You know, what, what is it about that that means you've got access to this fantastic material, but why are people not doing it?" And, and it came down to two or three key things, and this will lead us into the rest of the conversation, I guess. One, it wasn't engaging. It was static content. You sat instead of a screen. You did it on your own. So that was one factor motivation clearly was another you know you might have been super motivated to do it you saw the benefit of it but life gets in the way so that makes it difficult and and then thirdly you know there was just no sense of collaboration you were sat listening to someone talk to you who was an expert you had no chance to share or engage in that learning so they, they basically set out to build a platform that addressed those things so so the Kahoot learning platform was built It's based around this principle of learn together never alone so it's a digital platform but you are part of a cohort or a community so you're always learning with others and and that was based around the principle that you know you may have a subject matter expert who knows a lot but everyone who comes into that room whether in a face-to-face environment or a digital environment brings a lot of knowledge and experience with them. and good learning comes from learning from others and that's not just the subject matter expert, but the rest of the people in that group. And the whole platform and technology behind it has been built with those principles in mind. So it's come from a passion and a pedagogy, and the technology has been developed to back that up and to try and deliver that more effectively. And since that time, we've grown fairly significantly, both well, there's a business in terms of clients and size, but they're, they're the most important principles. It's what got me fired up. It's what I believe in. And when I saw what they were doing, the way they did it, and the technology that was there to scale this thing, I just got super excited basically, I think, is the best way I can describe.
0: Fantastic. Um, thanks, Craig. Amazing intro. And uh, if we had six hours, there's so many other things we could unpick <laughs> in all of that, but uh, perhaps we don't. But thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, yeah, wow. So what we might do, um, without further ado, is, is um, just bring some questions in. So we, we went out to our team at Magical Learning and, and said, hey, Great, Krauth is coming in this week, and um, this is the theme. Questions. So, I thought I might uh, just start with questions from a couple of the team who weren't able to join us this afternoon. And first is from our customer care manager extraordinaire, Mark. Uh, Mark's questions are: What are three, or perhaps some, but three, three will do. What are three advantages and three disadvantages of online learning? Yeah,
2: great question. Thank you. I think let, let's let's start with the positive <laughs> advantages. You know. Scale is one of them. So, so scale, you're able to deliver your, your content and your learning to far more people in far more ways um, through, through an effective means. I think access is another, you know, that that we've seen, not just because of the pandemic, but you know, people actually physically getting to a place to do training and traveling and everything else that goes with that, you know, that isn't always accessible. And certainly even for you know able-bodied people and everything else, that's not always accessible. If you add into that people who may have disabilities or others, you know, learning isn't always accessible for everybody. And a digital environment done properly with the right accessibility, you know, is something that opens up that opportunity. I think one of the and it possibly, you know, one we don't think about very often is it digital learning creates a safer space for people who are not necessarily extroverts or outgoing to learn and to reflect on their learning, you know because it gives you a chance to take the time to think. It's not the loudest voice in the room that necessarily gets heard, it's every voice in the room that gets heard. So I think that ability to you know, to, to create that space where people can engage one-to-one with a facilitator or as part of a group, even if that's not their natural instinct, doesn't mean they don't wanna learn, doesn't mean they don't wanna engage, they're just not necessarily gonna do it in, a, in that environment. So I think they're, they're definitely advantages. Disadvantages, people say they miss the human connection in digital learning and, you know, I, and and this is the point where I say not all digital learning was created equal and I think that's kind of the critical point to make here because you know I get that if you're sat staring at someone talking that you had a video with 46 minutes and there's no questions and no interaction then that's not necessarily something that's going to engage you as a a human and your need for social interaction you know I I think the informal part is often something else it's quoted you know that the discussions over coffee those other things that you have when you have a face-to-face learning event is, is some of what's lost around that And for sure, you know, for the last two years when we've all been locked in our homes on our own, that that human interaction in whatever form is something that, you know, people are craving. There's been a lot of isolation. And I think a lot of online learning is isolating in that sense. So that for sure can be a disadvantage. Is there a third one I can think about? Um, I, I suppose just quality. And I mean, that sounds like, you know, I don't want to come on here and diss other people and say we're the best and everyone else is awful. That's not the case. But there is a is, let's say there's variable quality out there in terms of, of digital learning. And again, we've seen that through COVID, you know, so what some people class as digital learning is just stick a camera on and say the same stuff you would say face to face with no thought, no preparation, and just chuck it out there or talk to video for three hours and get someone to listen to it. You know, that, that, that to me... Is a disadvantage because you're using a tool and the technology and a means to where you can have much bigger impact in a negative way because you're having a bigger impact just not necessarily a positive one so i I would say that you know if i if i pick three of each that would be the three
0: fantastic thank you Uh, i I love the point about um sort of leveling the the playing field or the learning field maybe for people who are more introverted uh as as everyone else in the team and, and craig probably picked up on and for those of you who are listening i Clearly, and I'm quite actually, quite a strong introvert. So, uh, no, honest, really, no, I am. Mm. Um, but a really important point that it does make it easier and safer for uh, for people to that end of the of the spectrum to um, to engage, which is brilliant. Absolutely. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. I might uh, just hand over to John. And uh, John, did you want to share your question with Craig?
1: Sure. So, Craig, teaching in a classroom requires mm-hmm. a certain skill set and temperament, and I come from a, a I used to be a primary school teacher once upon a time and moving into adult learning. But how is the, the skill set and temperament, how has it got to be different when you're looking at online classes and teaching online classes? And I, and I guess I'm coming from it not just as an adult, uh-huh. um, but even teaching kids.
2: Yeah. That's a fantastic question. And can I just say the temperament of any primary school teacher is just something that I'm in awe of because you know, I, I have two small children who are not at that age yet. And any anyone who can can do that effectively across 25 or 30 has, has my absolute admiration. So, um, yeah, I think there are common skills across them and I think there are different skills. And, and, you know, we, I suppose one of the, certainly from a Kahoot point of view, you know, we, we don't think of it as teaching. We, we see our roles as facilitators and moderators in the digital environment that's I suppose one of the differences to an extent um, and, and I think that's you know the, 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 the teaching in the face-to-face environment I think and, and this is part of the culture behind it, is often you know it's that knowledge sharing part you are sharing knowledge you're trying to get that across communication skills obviously are important but you know whether that's verbal or written is, is not different between the two environments. You know, you can use them differently. You have different means of doing that. But you need people who are good communicators. You need people who are empathetic. You need people who actually, you know, who listen more than they talk, which is a strange thing to say in the middle of a podcast when you're talking nonstop. But, but you know, th- those are skills that are consistent across. But but listening in a digital environment is different to listening in a face-to-face environment, you know. And, and, and that can be... Some people think to come back to the disadvantages that can be quite hard, you know, to keep track of what's going on in a digital environment. And, and this is a scale point. You know, if you have 450 people in a cohort and they're all in a discussion forum and there's a lot of noise, you know, if you had 450 kids in a classroom, you can imagine trying to listen to one of them. You know, it's no different in the digital environment. You've got 450 voices all commenting on things and everything else. You just tune out. You switch off. You don't take notice of it. So, so again, you know, one of the things that we through years of research have found is there's a sweet spot for a digital classroom of maybe 30 40 or 50 you know but certainly no bigger than that you can train a thousand people at you at a time but you need them in smaller groups because if you get beyond that you lose that interaction and from a, a facilitation point of view it's impossible to keep across the conversation to contribute to it effectively and and, and you know that it people don't then share they, they are just li- literally listening mode or responding mode but they're not actually reflecting they're not thinking about it so i think that that you know the facilitation skills as a capability set in the digital environment are critical you know it, probably more so than communication skills if we think of them as big different things because it, it's how you how you respond appropriately you know it's not just about liking something or ticking something you know it's someone may have written one sentence that's taken them six hours to think about that one sentence they're going to write and someone else might write 10 paragraphs that they just churned out and, and good facilitation in a digital environment recognizes both of those are, are, are valuable and will respond appropriately to what they see rather than, you know, the, 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 the thing. Mon- I think, you know, you you have that ability in a face to face environment to read the room. And you can also do that in the digital environment. It's, it's the same skill, just deployed differently. And, and, you know, often people think digitally it's much harder to test where people are, but actually it's just done a different way. And you rely on technology to support you and help you with that, you know. Part of what we do with Kahoot is we look at how people engage and we have an AI that's an algorithm that tracks how people are engaging. So we know whether they're responding, we know whether they're active, they're not active. If, if they've not been involved, you know, if you're in a face-to-face environment and someone's not engaging, you can try and talk to them. You can go and kind of have a word with them. We can do that in the digital environment too. And, and we have the technology that does that and the people that do that. So they'll all, we always moderate every program. You will never just leave learners in there to their own devices, you know. Come back to your point, if you left a classroom of 26 kids on their own with no teacher, you know what the consequences of that would be. And, and but, but digital learning is often like that. You know, you took a load of people into a course, you expect them to get on with it, come out the other end having learnt lots and applying. Well, it doesn't work like that. You know, the whole principle is you apply the same approaches in some ways. So you moderate, you engage with people. If you see they're falling behind or you see they're not engaging, you try and find out why. You draw them in. You're just using different tools and mechanisms to do it. So I... I don't think I think there are many similarities between the skill set, just deployed differently, and how we use the technology to do that. But but I think the you know the core principles are the same. It, it's it's about how you transfer knowledge in an engaging way and keep people engaged are fundamentally the same. But I think what, one difference that I kind of have often seen around this in terms of the skill set and the temperament. Don't think there's many differences. I just think you have the ability to deploy those skills on a larger scale if you're effectively using digital digital means you know we we talk about it and it's just if you're in a room and you've got a group of 40 people and you're trying to you know you put people in breakout rooms you've got tables where you know people are talking if you're one facilitator or two in that you know you can only hear parts of conversations you can only hear parts of discussions so you're then relying on people sharing that but you're hearing it second time you're not hearing first time in a digital environment done properly you know those discussion threads are things that are Asynchronous, so they're static. So as a moderator and a facilitator, you have the chance to engage with each of those tables, with each of those groups to have that conversation. So it's the same skill set, it's the same way you're deploying it, but using a technology, you can do it for all eight rather than having four people do it for two each, or you know, only being able to do two effectively and relying on other people relating information to you. So, so long, long answer as always with me, but <laughs> again, every single one of these we could spend an hour talking about. But but I think there are many similarities. Um, I think patience probably has needed more in a face-to-face environment than in a digital one. But other other than that, I think that, you know, they're very transferable skills. And, and I can vouch for that. You know, our head of learning at did did face-to-face for most of her professional career before she came to digital in 2040. And, and, and so, sorry, Beyond, not in 2014, in 2020, most of her career before that had been in the face-to-face environment, running programs and sessions in that way and, and brought that skill set into the digital environment and just basically then amplified it using the technology to help her do that. So I, I do see a lot of similarities.
0: Nice. Craig, thank you um, for um, a very detailed response. Great question, John, but mm. I like the, um, yeah, one of the things that sort of, one of the images that stuck for me in that uh, was what happens when you uh, leave 26 students <laughs> in a classroom with no teacher. I, I don't know why, but um, Australian Parliament was the answer that came to mind, and uh, I don't think that's appropriate, so I'm glad I didn't say it out loud. But I might um, I might hand over to Danette uh, to share her question with you, Craig. Thanks, Danette. And I actually loved that discussion there, because having done both, you gave some really good insights where I was like oh yeah that's so true Craig so yeah that was a fabulous answer and great question John Absolutely. so to mine was what are your tips for improving the outcomes we experience when you're know, using online learning so if I'm a learner how do I get the best out of it
2: yeah no that's thank you Jeanette it's a great question and I think engage that, that was that if I had one word answer and I won't just give a one word answer you know me well enough by now but 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 engagement is the critical thing you know and and if you don't engage in any learning then you know you're a static observer then you're not gonna get the most out of it and, and certainly in a digital environment it's easier in some ways to, to, to lurk at the back of the classroom in most cases and, and for sure you're not going to get the best experience. So you know to get the most out of any program irrespective you know engage in, in, in the actual thing itself and, and As I mentioned, you know, our whole principle around our cohort base is exactly that. From the minute people walk through our virtual doors, you know, you want them to share their profile. You want them to tell you a bit about themselves, what they like, what they don't like. Meet the rest of their cohort so they get to meet the rest of the people who were there, you know as you would over a coffee in a face-to-face environment, you start to have a few conversations with a few people, you get to know who's in your group. If you're an introvert, you can just read all of the 39 profiles. You don't have to kind of engage at that point at all, but you're engaged because you're finding out about the experience and the knowledge and everything else in the room. You're just not having to awkwardly ask or answer questions over a coffee, which is not something you're comfortable doing. But but then that engagement through the really thing, you know. we We know, especially in the social media world and everything else, you know, people get, how you measure outcomes is very different. You know, some people get a lot from being on things like LinkedIn. They may never post anything, but they learn a vast amount. They read lots of content. They might respond to posts and things, but they never post anything. doesn't mean it's ineffective in that sense. And I mean, we're talking social media rather than learning here. But people engage in different ways. You know, just because somebody doesn't put 52 posts in doesn't mean they're not engaging. And and I think what technology can do is you can get a sense of that. And and you can monitor that through the data and the analytics. So you can see the number of discussions that have been posted. You can see that. But you can also see the number of views so you know we we track and we monitor you might have 30 discussion posts but we've had two and a half thousand views so we look at the ratios in terms of what people are doing so we can see if people are engaging. but for me that, that just throwing yourself into that engaging with the cohort engaging with the content and and doing it in a reflective way i think reflection and building time for reflection, certainly in a digital environment, is one of the things that is so critically important. You know, again, in a face-to-face environment, you might be told, okay, go with, you know, think about this, think about how you apply for 20 minutes. We, we try and do the same. Again, back to your point, we try and do that, that. That kind of active learning pedagogy that we believe in is exactly the same in the digital environment. We'll tell people to go and take a walk away from their laptop that they're currently doing their program on. Go away with this, think about it, come back. And the next time you're online, tell us what your thoughts were. Tell us how you would apply that. So we act, we encourage people to, to to engage with themselves as well as with each other in terms of how they do that. But I, I really do think that just just leaning in and engaging with with the content, with the cohort, and everything else is the critical factor to, to success in a digital environment. Right. Nice. Thanks,
0: Thanks, Craig. Craig. Um, the one part of one of the themes that's sort of coming out of this um, this conversation is this idea of um, collaboration between people and technology, and I really like that because on, on one level we can use technology to make delivery of online learning really um, efficient. Yeah. Cost wise, it's so much easier to make content available to a hundred people, a thousand people, a million people, but um, the effectiveness. Comes into, into question a lot. So I, I, I really like that idea of using and you know, something as simple as um, prompting students in the class to go for a walk. Yes. Uh, it's, what, it's like, why do you and I think of that? Oh, that's why. Uh, but it's a great idea. I'd probably add go outside and hug a tree because I normally encourage people to do that in the workshops that I run. And uh, every now and then I have a student who will come back in. in this is in a virtual uh, workshop who will come back in and share a photo of having gone outside and hugged a tree. Absolutely. Um, yeah.
2: And, 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 and I think that's, you know, I think that's so important because we, you know, they don't have to be that what works in the face-to-face environment doesn't, isn't necessarily fundamentally different to what works in the digital environment, but you can do more of it you can enhance it. You know, it's about, it's a, you design differently and you think about it differently, but it, it's not a, we do this in one way we do this in a different way there's there's positives and negatives in both and, and it's how you bring those two things together in a, a synergist way i suppose to get the best outcomes and i think if you've if you focus design of any program on what the learner is going to get out of it what's going to shift mindset and behavior and what's going to make a difference to them then you have that knowledge and experience to bring to it and you know and that's why it's a collaborative experience so you know all of that you know your subject you know what works in that environment you know working with a, a team of instructional designers who work in the digital environment, then you get the best of both because they know how to get that outcome that you want in that environment using the technology and, and the platform that you've got. And, and that's why, you know, good collaboration between between subject matter experts and those people who understand the environment itself is is, is critical to get the best outcomes. You know, it's not not a shift the emphasis the one or the other, or you just chuck content at us and let us build it and make it work. You know, it is a collaborative process. It has to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Awesome. Thanks, Craig. Uh, Alan, did you want to um, share your question with Craig, please?
1: Oh, thanks, Craig. Okay uh, Craig, I think you've probably answered my question already <laughs> around I was wanting to know, you know what is it as students of online learning do we need to do to maximize our learning experience? And you've mentioned engaging. I guess I'm wondering what are some of the things that could stop us from engaging?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. thanks Alan. And I think you know, Time and real life are one of the main things that get in the way of people engaging. Genuinely, it's, you know, we've seen this through COVID in particular over the last couple of years. You know, some programs we used to run for some clients, four or five week programs. Pre COVID, we might have, you know, high 80s, low 90 completion rates, which by our standard, industry standard, is exceptional. But you know, we, we, was pretty consistent for us. During COVID, we suddenly started seeing some of those same programs, same content, same quality and everything else getting down into the fifties and 60%. And then you kind of stop and ask yourself the question, why? So we did, we didn't just stop asking ourselves, we asked our organizations and our learners why and you know we kind of knew the answer but we prefer to hear it firsthand and people were three weeks into a program and suddenly they'd get COVID, or a family member would get COVID, or kids would be home then they'd have to school them rather than anything else and this just dropped down the list of priorities from a motivation point of view and, and so so those things kind of became really sort of challenging I guess so one of the things around what we were looking what you do look to do at that point is how do you flex to make it make people where they are so how do you get that balance in terms of delivery mode, in terms of delivery methodology, understanding, you know, can we break this up instead of being a five week program, but being five one week programs that people can do at, 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 at an appropriate time. So they still stay together as a group, but they're not just doing it when it suits them or they lose motivation or anything else. So, so trying to flex around those kind of things and look at, you know, how, how you can meet the learners where they are, how you do those things to kind of try and, and, and make the best experience for them that, that suits the, the reality of the, the the situation they're in, I guess, is something that was really important to us. I'm no, not really sure yeah. I answered the question, Alan. I was talking there. Just, just sorry, Graham, if this messes up your recording. Can you just no problem at all. Of, 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 of the specific question because I think I half answered it. Probably not fully answered it. I hate leaving things unsaid. I so. know <laughs> oh, that
1: sums it up well for me, Craig. Yeah, I guess that's okay. my experience where yeah, life just does get in the way sometimes. And,
2: and I think there needs to be an understanding around that, you know. And I, I think again. Because this isn't, you know, a facilitated environment. It's it's having people you can talk to. In the same way as you would if you, you know, you would pick up the phone to someone and say, I'm struggling with this, you know, can I have an extra week or can I do this or, you know, can you support me with that? And and even, I suppose, the the joy of technology, it's a dynamic environment. You know, there were points in programs where we could sit with a client and say, okay, you know, what what really matters in this program or what doesn't? You can see your group is struggling. You can see why they're struggling because of something that's happened in their work environment or whatever else. You know, rather than scrap this, start again, what can we, you know, what can we hide with the technology? What can we take out that's not essential, that you can pick up at a point in the future so that people don't feel demotivated that they're only 32% of the way through and that, it, you know, what really matters now to get this group to complete and, and be where they want to be. And, and it's a dynamic process. With, with, with technology, we have that luxury. You know, we literally can take things in and out on a, on a given day or a given basis or send a message to the whole group saying, look, just focus on these modules or these areas that, that need completing. And, and, you know, we'll support you to do that in the coming weeks and months. But, but let's have balance again, final point around asynchronous and synchronous. You know, the, the point earlier was a lot of online learning for That is, you know, sit in this three-hour webinar and we'll talk to you about it, you know. And that's challenging if you've ever sat in a three-hour webinar. You're both for the presenter and for, for, for the learner. You know, it's not an engaging environment. But what happens if that three hours happens to be the three hours that you can't make? So you watch a recording of it. Well, you can watch a recording of it, but, you know, at the same time, it can be effective if it's done very, very well, but it, it's not as effective, I think, as then having that where you've got that opportunity to reflect, to kind of go away, to sit and watch the hours recording of the live thing at the time that suits you, but then go away and do the other two hours what suits you best. So I think that it's how we harness technology to improve something. And I think this is the scale versus quality conversation that, again, could be a whole topic on itself. You know, a lot of technology is being used, to Graham's point, you know, to be able to do things at scale and do it cheaper, but at the, at the cost of doing it well. And, you know, I think doing it well and at scale was the challenge that we kind of set ourselves on a daily basis. You know, how do we do this, but do it and still deliver as good or better outcomes than if we were doing it in a different department? I think that's just a, a different standard that you try and hold yourself to by putting yourself in the learner's shoes. You know, whether I'm doing this online or face to face. I have the same needs coming in, I have the same outcomes that I'm hoping to, to achieve, and the organization potentially paying for that has the same. So how do we deliver that just using what we have here rather than a different environment? And, and in some cases, how do we mix the two together? Because, you know, hybrid learning is absolutely something that's going to be part of the future. How do you get the best use of the technology in the online part? And where it's face-to-face is most appropriate, bring those two things together, but get better value from the face-to-face time, rather than just to be something in isolation or add an extra couple of days on to do Icebreakers and community building. Well, I'll do that digitally for a few weeks before. You know, there's lots of different ways you can meet the learner and and, and get better outcomes for both.
0: The um, um, thank you, Craig and and El, Great question. Thank you. Sorry. Um, the the hybrid learning thing is um, is the experience that Danette and I had earlier this week with a client in Canberra, where we had um, the bulk of the people in the room as Danette mentioned earlier, but. Um, we had some people uh, dialing in from different parts of Australia and you know, even just the basic sort of tech set up within the room to ensure that the the people who are um, coming in via Team Zoom, whatever platform they're using, can actually yeah. engage in, in a meaningful way. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing that came to mind too, and uh, we, we've run a lot of webinars the last few years and we've been running webinars long before COVID mm-hmm. arrived, but um, the uh, one of the other things that popped up for me was, the, the technology makes it easier so much easier nowadays To so you know, we we can you can run a webinar run a, a master class and record it then make a recording available to people who couldn't get there in person Absolutely. Um, but then you can also now um you can install a, a plugin or an app or an extension on your browser that enables you to fast forward through videos yeah.
2: um
0: and the same thing the same technology i think is available for yeah, audio books and that so you can listen to it at, at three times the speed. So, at, And I'm, I'm just sort really of curious about the, the learning effectiveness. So, yes, I might be able to listen to something at twice the speed uh, and I can make sense of what they're saying, but I'm not really convinced that I'm learning much out of it. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, that, that which it partly I think comes back to the engagement piece. Yeah, how absolutely. Do we, how do we keep, keep people engaged, but probably engaged more from an educational point of view in terms of what learning needs in an online space. So what in, what enhances learning and, and what prevents learning, if that sort of makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, it does. And 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 if I can pick up a couple of points and answer with that, Greg. But you know, I'm not gonna so don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing webinars in any sense because they're a core part of what we do and how we do it. You know, I think it's, it's, again, how you approach that. If you're just using that webinar as a content dump and someone's sat listening for however long, then that's going to be disengaging for a learner, whether you're doing that face-to-face or digitally. You know, a, a design of a webinar is a skill and a, 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 and something in itself in terms of how you engage learners and get the learning outcomes that you want in the same way as it would be if you're doing it a, asynchronous way so I think you know that I don't want to be misinterpreted that I think you know it has to be a platform program rather than a webinar both are effective if they're designed well and effectively they deliver different outcomes at different times and but but most of our conversations and webinars are you know please don't make this a content dump where someone sits and listens for two hours because that really won't work for anybody I think that that that, the kind of the the next phase of that sorry and I'm kind of trying to think of the second half of what I was going to say around the, the response to your question there Graham remind me of your question sorry it's been a long uh,
0: no that's okay I'm, I'm not entirely sure there was a question at the end of it I think I, <laughs> I rambled um, I, I got a little bit um, sort of sidetracked so it was probably more and, and to be honest I think this is a, a topic that we could we could certainly cover in uh, in another podcast but mm-hmm. it really is around that um, you know the nexus between again in person online or digital and how do we how do we sort of collaborate with technology to make the learning experience more engaging? And and I just keep coming back to that more effective rather than just more efficient. Um, And
2: and I think the hybrid model, you know, hybrid means different things to different people. So your experience of that this week was you have some people there in the room, some people digitally, and just try to do that. You know, one of the things that that was pre-COVID, but has probably now got more legs, I think, in terms of going forward is, you know, people don't want to be necessarily away from home for three weeks at a time or two Mm. weeks at a time and everything else so how what can you do in the digital environment as a kind of cohort building pre-preparation pre-reading all those other things that you could use a platform for you know to get people brought together to do that cohort building to do that sharing get them ready do all the prep everything else so when they walk into the room for the three days face-to-face or whatever else it is you have those three days to do what you can deliver best from a learning point of view in that face-to-face environment you know it could be done differently and has been done differently but you know if that's what you want that's what the client wants how do you foreshorten that physical time that people are away or together or whatever else it may be and you know get better outcomes rather than just try to replicate it and then for you know the 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 holy grail of professional development how do you then monitor and track the application of that post program because you know, that's, yeah. whether it's face-to-face or a digital program, you know, historically, we've started on a given day and you ask how people are and where they are, and then you ask at the end how they are, where they are, what they've learned, what they're gonna apply, and then you trust them to do it. And you trust a manager to make sure they're doing it or supporting them to do it. You know, and, and with the best will in the world, well, it's very expensive to go and do kind of level three, level four evaluations in organizations as to how they're applying their learning over extended periods of time. And I think that's been one of the major challenges. One of the things you can do with the digital environment is you stop making it closed you make it open ended so you know. What we what we set ourselves the challenge of doing last year was creating learning communities, so these are not. We have programs within them, but these are open ended, you might have 300 people in there on an ongoing basis, so you have that ongoing access to them. So three months later, you can pose a question in the discussion forum. You know, this is what you learned three months ago. Share some of your experience around what you've applied back in the workplace. What was the learning of that? Is there anything you learned that you could think your colleagues would benefit from? Yeah. You know, yep. or something's changed or moved on, or there's a new framework or whatever else. You can keep populating that. So learning becomes a dynamic thing. It's something that becomes part of what they do and how they apply that. And you know, if you were trying to do that in a face-to-face environment, bring it back. You know we have a follow-up day and then we have another follow-up day, and it's like the they're static points in time, suppose is what I'm trying to say. If you can use technology properly, you can create that kind of learning ecosystem, that environment. Yeah, you know, I, I won't get into it today because I can't paint a picture with my hands if people are listening on a podcast. But 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 I have this crazy idea of of a kind of biodome that has its own ecosystem. And, and if you've ever, if you haven't, this is my recommendation, John. Sorry, I'm gonna steal a recommendation, I'm gonna throw in a second one. Mm-hmm there's a project in the uk where i come from called the eden project by there was a mastermind of a guy called tim smith sir tim smith as he is now and he basically decided he wanted to build a tropical rainforest in a mediterranean village in the middle of a cornish tin mine and this was his vision it was a whole ecology thing and and he basically built these biodomes, which are self-contained self-sustaining and basically there's a tropical rainforest in the middle of sort of Cornwall, and I won't say anything bad about Cornwall in case anybody's listening from there, somebody fell foul of that quite recently. Um, Mr Rick Stein, for anyone who's interested. So, but but, but basically what that is, is it becomes an environment where everything that's happening sustains each other. It's a human created environment, but it becomes self-sustaining, so the learners support each other. Yes, you populate it, you feed it, you can add things in there, but actually, you know, the content you drop in is then built on and supported by the people who are there, they share that, they share their experience, they share their application. And that then becomes something that starts to shift learning culture. And ultimately, you know, that's that's what we're all about. The big picture, you know, you change an individual, they learn something, they apply it. You do that and you start to amplify that and you start to get impact across your organization. You know, that's why people invest in these things. And, and, and what we're trying to do is to look at how you build that community in a digital environment to encourage people to continue their learning journey and the application of their learning on an onboard basis. And I think that for me is kind of, the hybrid model you know you can still within that have a master class you can still have a live event you can have a face-to-face event you can have a digital event but then you're using the technology in a way that adds to the experience rather than is just a replacement for something else and i think that for organizations moving forward is going to be the the thing they're going to have to really kind of how do you create that learning ecosystem that gets the best of a face-to-face environment the best digital experience you can but that really starts to shift the dial in terms of capability in terms of what organizations need
0: yeah and I, I wonder whether part of the challenge for organisations is going to be moving away from um, just being able to or needing to tick the box and say, yes, we've spent, you know, $20,000 on on people development this year. Or, yes, every, everybody in our team has been through some sort of training course to actually focusing on, yes, but are they learning anything? I, mean, that, yeah, that I idea think are a of learning.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a there's a huge mindset shift there. You know, CPD yeah, has yep. kind of got into a mindset where you know you do your CPD hours. And, and to your point, Graham, I remember what it was now, but it's going to be ten minutes later. Yeah, are three times <laughs> speed recording. You know? Yes. Yeah. Are yep. you learning at the same speed? Some people might be able to, most slow. You know, what they can mm. do is they can get through the video. It shows as completed. They tick the box. They've done their two hours. Well, right. have it, yeah. You know, if you're taking CPD points, have they done two hours or have they done a third of two hours because they did it at three times the speed? You know, if yep. that's the approach you're taking, does it really deliver any change? No a tick box thing that you're doing. You know, that's what we want to get away from. For me, yeah, absolutely. That's not proper. That's not continuous professional development. That's being seen to do continuous professional development. So, how do you it's, it's- have three hours that are going to make a difference and impact them in their organisation? at the same time as it becomes valuable for the individual. So they don't see CPD as something they have to do because they need to keep the certification. They see something that it's something they want to do because they see the value in it and they keep the certification. It's a different shift completely.
0: So the the CPD in that case would be circumventing um, professional development rather than, yeah, anyway. Uh, I have one, one more. Uh, question, and this is from Chairs, uh, who again unfortunately couldn't be with us today. But so, what's uh, what's something that a lot of people have gotten really wrong when it comes to online learning?
2: Yeah, wow. Um, I think I'd go back to half an answer I gave previously. That they focus on scale has been the key driver rather than quality. That that you can get access to tens of thousands of people, you can get this content out there. And that's the primary purpose, I suppose, of why people are engaging in online. They see a scale opportunity to do more and to potentially commercialize that at the detriment and it's not driven by the best outcomes for the learner. I think that that to me, you know, is is probably the key thing that not everybody, but a lot of people have got wrong. You know, this is a way of getting content out there to masses effectively. And the other side is they often devalue that right? by doing that. And because yeah. the quality yeah. is worse, they charge less for it. You know, and this is an experience we've been through many times with people we work with. It's like, okay, well, this is what we charge face-to-face, so what should we charge in the digital environment? or you charge the same or maybe more because potentially it's a better experience. It's like, no, no, you know, people aren't going to wash that. You have to charge a third or a half. Well, it's no, you don't have to do that because you only have to do that if you're compromising the quality of what you're doing by putting it in a digital environment. And I think that's the, you know, people see scale and low cost as being what they're aiming for in a digital learning environment, whereas actually scale, absolutely. But, you know, the quality of the learning and the quality of the experience is at least or should be at least as good and potentially better because you have better tools and techniques to do. So why should you yep. charge less? Why shouldn't you be charging more? And I think that's just been a mindset that, that most online learning is focused on, that, yep. that you have to have one or the other you can't have both. And, and certainly from a current point of view, we don't believe that.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, can we go until midnight? Is that okay? <laughs> we probably can't. <laughs> so we've just had 15 listeners just say, hell no, I'm out of here. Uh, folks, I, we will um, probably put a pin in it there, but I, uh, Craig, again, thank you so much for no, joining today. It's been a brilliant conversation. I've got a, um, uh, at least a page full of notes and other points, and, and at some point, I think I'd really love to get you back and, and you know, uh explore some of these um, ideas a little further. No, um, so thank you very much for being with us today. Um, thanks to everybody thank else, Jeanette, John, Alan, for joining in. For all of our listeners out there, you can uh, check out the latest uh, edition of the Magical Learning podcast on Spotify. We'd love for you. Give us a review while you're in there, please. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, you can only give us five stars. But if you want to petition Spotify to increase and uh, introduce a new category for Magical Learning that's 11.5 stars, we completely support that. Please do that. We'd love for you to give us a review, listen along. Uh, and to everybody out there who's been part of the podcast that they've been listening, thank you so much. Uh, Craig, again, huge thanks to you for joining us today. Uh, that's it for us for this week. Hopefully, Jez will be back on deck next week. we are back to normal podcast. Uh, but until then, everybody, have a magical week.